0: It's Thursday, December third. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Motley Fool Rule Breakers and Supernova, David Kretzman. Happy Thursday, man.
1: Thanks for having me, Chris. Great to be here.
0: Uh, It is good to be here because it's starting to get a little chilly outside. Not really cold. Not like, not like cold. That if we have listeners in say the Upper Midwest and they're they're just yelling at. you know their phone right now or however they're listening they're Brutal. like you want cold we have a foot of snow but it's starting to get a little chilly around here it's good to be under these hot lights in the studio <laughs> exactly exactly we're going to dip into the full mailbag we are going to look at what's up in the world of data security but let's start with the news the interesting news about the the latest in the battle for the living room executives from YouTube are reportedly meeting with executives in Hollywood to discuss licenses for new video content, new movies, new television. YouTube I don't want to say they quietly rolled out Red, which is their premium video service, but it was it wasn't loud, it wasn't a big splashy rollout and I think they're looking at providing more value for anyone who wants to pay 10 bucks a month for what at the moment is just a promise that we're not going to serve up any ads. If you're Netflix, if you're Amazon Prime, if you're Hulu, how nervous are you right now?
1: I wouldn't be too nervous at this point, but it's definitely something to watch. Because when you have, you know, even other players like HBO Go and you know different things, as um, cable TV is increasingly unbundled and you have more online streaming options, uh, the competitive landscape is definitely um, intensifying. Uh, But I think YouTube might recognize that they need to boost the value proposition if they're going to get people to move from, you know consuming YouTube for free or just watching ads. That's the only price you have to pay up to this point to use YouTube. But they need to boost that value proposition if people are going to pay ten bucks a month, which is what they could pay for Hulu or Netflix or other services like that. So yeah, now they're looking into releasing ten original movies and TV shows using their YouTube stars. So kind of their homegrown content. Uh, they'll start releasing those in 2016. And now they're looking into licensing uh, TV shows and other movies, which is what you know Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and all those other players are doing. So it'll be interesting to see. And. YouTube does have the advantage uh, through Google, which has their Google Play Store. Uh, Google already has some relationships with those studios, licensing um, movies and and TV shows, so YouTube does have that advantage here
0: as I get started. We talk from time to time about Larry Page and Sergey Brin and the the incredible company they've built with, I guess we now have to call it Alphabet. Um, But, Part of what they've done is assemble a pretty phenomenal team of leaders within their universe. And one of them is Susan Wojcicki, who heads up YouTube. And I read a profile of her a couple of months ago. And what was striking to me was not just how talented and what a great leader she appears to be, she appears to be very much the. Person for this job, but also what an opportunity YouTube represents for Alphabet because they haven't really cracked the code yet. And maybe this is it. Maybe this is the move where they've looked at the landscape and said, you know what? Netflix is onto something. We've got deep pockets. We can buy content. Little tougher though if you're looking to create your own original content.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting for YouTube in this transition. I sort of picture YouTube as a place where if you if you're thinking of a video, that's where you go to search. So they they could really personalize this and benefit that way if they can bring TV shows and movies and, and take advantage of the the stuff that people are searching for. Because I think more so than Amazon or Netflix, at least for me, like if there's something, just a quick search of. A movie or a show or anything else, I'm going to YouTube. So they're they're definitely attracting a lot of people. They have a, a very engaged and active audience. So there, there's definitely potential here. Whether or not Red is the answer, we'll see. But I think it definitely makes sense that they need to bolster uh, the content they have. So this move uh, is
0: understandable. You got to be pretty happy if you're a TV studio, if you're a movie studio. The the idea that YouTube could come knocking on your door and say, "Well, we've got an entire bag full of money. Let's talk about what you've got in your content hey, library." Life is good. It's the holidays. Yeah. Target has agreed to pay thirty-nine million dollars to settle claims related to the data breach in twenty thirteen. Twenty million of that goes to the banks. Nineteen million to reimburse Mastercard card issuers. Earlier this year, Target reached a similar settlement with Visa. And all told, the companies. This is a little surprising to me. Although, the company has said they have spent nearly $300 million related to this data breach. And all I can think, David, is, I have to believe that at least one executive at Target is pounding the table, saying, I told you three, four, five years. I told you we should be spending more on data security. I mean, don't you think that hindsight's twenty twenty? But don't you think that they could have paid a fraction of this amount and made their security much, much greater? Certainly, uh,
1: cybersecurity. I think. For that reason, uh, is growing really quickly now. So the, the global cybersecurity market right now is growing at about a 10% pace each year, and it's expected to grow to more than 170 billion dollars in size by 2020. Uh, so clearly, there's a lot of tailwinds behind that market as more companies are recognizing the risks. They don't want to be in the headlines like Target or Home Depot or Sony or even the federal government with the Office of Personnel Management uh, earlier this summer had a, a massive hack. Um, so in, in Target's case, yeah, they they lost forty million credit and debit card um, de- debit cards, uh, and th- those were vulnerable for for theft. And that obviously uh, puts your customers at risk. It puts your brand reputation at risk. Um, and certainly, the cost could have been a lot less than three hundred million dollars if they had been a bit more proactive in uh, their security management. Part of the the issue with when we're talking about cybersecurity, a lot of the focus is placed on What we call like the firewall, it's sort of like the perimeter around the network of a company. But once a hacker gets through that network, and you could do it by you know uh, accessing the credentials of like a vendor, say with Target or Home Depot, then they can access your network, kind of penetrate that firewall or that perimeter around the network, all the accounts within that network. Don't have very much security. So an example might be if you have uh, an administrative account, you might have twenty or thirty employees who all have access to the account with the same password. So if you're a hacker, as soon as you get that password, you you blend right in with the employees. There's no way to tell that someone's actually hacked the system, and then you have massive data breaches like this. So you have some smaller companies like uh, CyberArk, which um, they're focused on securing those internal accounts, or they're also called uh, privileged accounts. Um, So, really, the the cybersecurity landscape, it is definitely evolving and expanding very quickly. And I think companies are recognizing now that it's not just a matter of regulatory compliance anymore. I think maybe 10, 20 years ago, that's what people thought about when they thought about cybersecurity, and that's how companies treated it. But now, they recognize, we have to be proactive with this. So, thanks to these big companies taking the hit in the headlines, uh, I think companies are becoming more proactive.
0: When you look at a company like FireEye, which is very much in the business of cybersecurity, and the fact that their stock has been cut in half over the last 12 months, more so, as an investor, if you think, okay, I hear everything David's saying, this is a space I want to look at, is the risk and reward much greater for a FireEye than it is for, say, a company like Cisco Systems, which? Is a behemoth and has deep enough pockets to be able to throw more money at this than FireEye ever could.
1: Sure, yeah. There's a a whole, there's a wide array of companies on this spectrum. So you have some of the smaller companies um, like FireEye. Uh, versus some of the larger companies like Cisco or Checkpoint is another one, just companies that are churning out a huge amount of cash. They're they're not growing as quickly as companies like Palo Alto Networks or FireEye, but they're also not losing gobs of money like <laughs> Palo Alto and FireEye. So, you definitely have to evaluate that. You don't want to go all in on probably any one of these companies, especially with kind of those younger, newer companies, which are. Really focused on R and D. They're uh, hiring a lot of people, spending a lot of market marketing. They're not making money today, so obviously that that amplifies uh, the risk a good deal.
0: The last time you were here in the studio it was with Aaron Bush, and we did our two part series on millennials and investing. We got a lot of great email in response to that, uh, so th- thank you uh, to everyone who wrote in got a couple of questions as well market at full.com is our email address that's marketfoolery at fool.com first one from someone who did not want to be identified so I won't mr. anonymous <laughs> or Mrs. anonymous well let's just go with anonymous anonymous uh, I work for a fortune 500 company I use the employee stock purchase plan with an automatic withdrawal to get the 10% deduction on the stock price I've used this as the solitary tool to invest in stocks for two years now. And it has worked very well. My plan is to sell company stock and diversify the portfolio with a 10% head start on the market. Is this common and a good way to filter my money into the market? Well, I mean, I'm curious what you think, but I think anytime you can get a 10% deduction, whether it's on a loaf of bread or a stock, that's probably a good thing.
1: Go for it. Yeah, I've certainly heard of people doing this before, and I think it makes sense to take advantage of that plan through your employer. and. You, know, you, you probably don't want to be all-in on one company, even if, even, even if it is uh, your employer, so yeah, taking advantage of that to diversify and uh, buy other stocks or index funds or anything like that definitely sounds like a great way to do it.
0: And we've heard from people at both ends of the spectrum in this, where people say, look, I work at this company, and I know it really well, I know the business really well, and I feel confident in it, and I'm going to get as much company stock as I can. And people at the other end saying, uh, at the other end of the spectrum, saying, "I work at this company, it provides my salary, it provides my insurance. I'm already very financially tied to this company, so I'm going to look to diversify my stock, yeah, and then you obviously have
1: extreme cases like Enron where people have oh, you know so <laughs> so much stock tied up in a company, and you know obviously not many companies are frauds <laughs> outright frauds like enron, uh but you know." It's not a bad idea to have some diversification. Like even in our case, like every employee at the Motley Fool is uh, a shareholder, um, but you know we we still buy other stocks. I don't think anyone is all in completely in the Motley Fool.
0: From Jeff Tracy in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, you guys did a great job with the Millennial Investing series. As a millennial and relatively new investor, I appreciated the advice and recommendations that you made. One thing, however, that struck me was your analysis and or justification of paying, of paying brokerage fees. That is, I believe the question related to how to get over paying them, and the answer was that it was such a small amount, 8 to $10 a trade, that in the long run, it didn't matter. I was literally screaming into my headphones asking for <laughs> someone to mention Robinhood, but it never came. I've been using Robinhood now for about a year, and it's fantastic. I trade whenever I want. I still haven't sold a single stock that I purchased, um, all with no fee. I would have spent upwards of seven hundred dollars in fees by now, but that money has instead been invested and is growing. Can you guys give me your opinion on Robinhood and the future of trading in general? Uh, great question. Yep. One point I should make, though, I, I I think if if memory serves me correctly, when we were kicking around the fees and how essentially it didn't really matter all that mon- much, we were speaking relative to one another, mm-hmm. so that. I'm paying ten dollars a a trade with TD Ameritrade. Someone's you know some other brokerage is saying, well, we only have eight dollars a trade. I'm not that's not worth it to me. Mm-hmm. Now, to his point, if you can trade with paying no fee, well, that's that's obviously better than paying ten bucks a pop. It's a good deal. Uh, what do you think of Robinhood? And the, and Robinhood is one of. There are several other services out there that do this sort of thing. Uh, It's certainly aimed at a younger generation Mm -hmm. where it's uh, very focused on the mobile app experience, that sort of thing, and no fees whatsoever.
1: Yeah, I was interested in Robinhood, so I opened an account and uh, bought a few uh, stocks through it. Um, It is definitely a little bit more Primitive and limited compared to say like a full service online broker. Um, to my at, at least the last time I looked at at Robinhood and that was this summer. Uh, you can't do things like you know a Roth IRA things like that. Uh, you can't use limit orders. You have to use a market order. So if you're buying, you know a more thinly traded smaller company, there's a chance you could really get burned. Um, you know getting. Buying the stock maybe three dollars above the market price or something like that if it's thinly traded and there's not much volume. Um, but if you're just looking for an easy way to ease into, um, you know, buying individual stocks, uh, I think Robinhood is definitely an option to to consider, especially because, uh, like the listener mentioned, uh, there aren't commissions, so you can invest fifty dollars into each stock or a hundred dollars in each stock. So uh, I definitely see it uh, as an option, but. You know, it, it, it. You wouldn't want everything to be in Robinhood, at least you know, not not your entire life, and unless they do branch out to other um, um, offerings, but um, it, it's definitely one one to consider.
0: Yeah, they. Uh, to my knowledge, they, they don't uh, do mutual funds. If you are someone who is interested in options investing in the way that Jeff Fisher does it, that's that's not a possibility. But to your point, if you've if you've got a retirement account through work and you're just looking for something where all you're doing is buying or selling stocks, Robinhood is certainly an option. I do wonder though about the long-term sustainability. And and I'm and I'm thinking, you know, 10 years out, what is Robinhood in 10 years? Robinhood could be much bigger and much more popular, but I, when I look at Robinhood, one of the first things I wonder is, okay, how are they making money? And they, yep. they I think they have margin accounts and they that's that's that, one way they that they charge a fee,
1: and that's nothing we would encourage people to do. Like, yeah. you no, know, so yeah, they, they make their money through like the thin number of or percentage of their users who go and use a margin account. Like that's how they make the bulk of their revenue. So um, yeah, we'll we'll see if it is sustainable. At this point, I, I would sort of treat it like yeah, it's a great place to start if you're brand new because it's you know it's through an app, it's um, very easy to use, um, no cost to it. Um, But eventually, you're probably going to want to go to a broker where you can have a retirement account, use limit orders, things like that. But to get started and ease into it, or maybe help your kids get into it, I think Robinhood's definitely something to consider.
0: We've already started to hear from listeners related to the discussion we had yesterday about the movie Die Hard and whether or not it's a Christmas movie. So, by all means, keep those emails coming. An important discussion. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Again, you're not hearing that on Bloomberg. Bloomberg's not debating whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie. But if you listened all the way to the end of yesterday's episode, you noticed that in place of our usual outro music, Dan Boyd put in the classic song Christmas in Hollis by Run DMC, which is featured in the movie Die Hard. and Dan and I were talking about how, this time of year in the United States of America, pretty much wherever you live, there's a radio station that has flipped their format to all holiday music. We're going all Christmas. And that's fine, except for the fact that they appear, at least in the DC area, they're just playing the same fifty songs over and over. I like Felice Navidad as much as the next guy, but I don't need to hear it just on a constant loop as uh, as it as it seems to be. So so as a public service, this month on Market Floor, we're gonna feature a few holiday songs, some Christmas songs. We'll throw in a couple of Han- Hanukkah songs as well because they're there there are definitely some good Hanukkah tunes. Uh just as a public service because again there Just like the world of investing, where there are a lot of options, there are a lot of options when it comes to holiday music. So Today, we'd like to feature the late, great Pearl Bailey singing one of my favorite tunes, and maybe one of the few, if only, financial Christmas songs Five pound box of money. So, David yeah, yeah. Kretzmann, thanks for being here.
1: Thank you, Chris. As always,
0: people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal you recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely you. on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fluory. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. Yeah, I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.
2: I a five pound box of money. Now, now has a little gift. It's loaded with lots of sentiment. See, whenever I get blue, Santa, I'm going to think of you, but at the same time, I will change to pay my rent, you see? Now, money isn't everything, there's no two ways about it, but while we're here, Santa dear, is much better with than without it, so really, I-, I could be real good and not do nothing funny. If you do like I ask you, stop me right on Christmas night, try me, try me, try me on that money, Tr- just try me, honey. Santa, can you hear me? You listen to everything I'm asking you about? But listen, honey, Santa dear, the new year, oh, it would be so bright and sunny. Just bring me that little simple thing I've been speaking to you about, like, like that, maybe a five-pound box of money, that's all, that's all. It would be so heavenly and help me meet both ends. Yes, indeed. What old Pearl really needs is a five-pound box of tin. How much can it weigh? I ask you. How much? I don't want the whole money tree. What good is that big thing to me? You keep the branches. You can keep the trunk and the root. Because all that I want is just a little bit of the fruit. So if you want to be sure I'll be your little old honey, honey bunny. You try- I beg while I'm begging because I mean I'll catch you next year. You know people go out and you know, sometimes you don't see them no more so bring the money. Santa, can you hear me? Five, bring me some money. Oh
0: Santa, Santa now what I want with this diamond, are you kidding?